You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Everything that we have to do, strength that we need to muster up, use all of the resources that God has made available to us to be victorious, to triumph over the world in which we live. But here's the good news. In spite of these truths, that is the world in which we live, a world that's antagonistic towards Christian, here's the good news. Even though the world lies under the power of Satan and evil, we as Christians can have this fullness of joy. The Lord provides Christians with many blessings. However, the Christian life is not guaranteed to be easy or absent of hardships. As Pastor Mike shares in today's message, no matter your circumstances, you can still experience joy. In a world filled with sin and evil, you have the power to push back. The Lord will provide you with the strength to resist the evil one. Our fullness of joy comes despite living in a deprived world. The Lord's blessings are all around you, and His joy is bottomless. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, as he begins his message, Full and Lasting Joy. Grab your Bibles and open up to John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. And this is where we left off last time. And this evening's message, the title is Full and Lasting Joy. So that's what we're going to be talking about this evening, full and lasting joy, what that looks like and how to possess it. So with that said, let's go ahead and read verse 4, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. So once again, this evening's message, full and lasting joy. Now, in our previous messages leading up to this evening's, we've already established in those previous messages that the Christian lives in a world that is opposed to God and is antagonistic towards Christians. And in fact, it does everything it can do to drag us down. We'll treat this subject or this particular verse of Scripture, this text of Scripture, in one of our future messages. But if you quickly just jump ahead to chapter 5 in the same book of the Bible, notice in verse 19, in 1 John in chapter 5 and verse 19, we are told, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway or the influence of the wicked one. And of course, he's referring to the wicked one, as Satan. So the world 
that is under the control of Satan will try to fill our minds here in this world with things that try to satisfy us and thereby keep us from God and Christ. But the truth of the matter is they're really nothing more than distractions. They're really nothing more than counterfeit substitutions for the real thing. And, of course, the real thing can only be found in and through a relationship with Christ. So it is a world in which Christians have to fight for their souls. And let me tell you, and I don't, actually I don't really have to tell you, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've made that decision for Christ and you're committed to following through with that commitment that you made to Christ, it's easier to go down than continue to travel along the straight and the narrow. It's so much easier to just throw in the towel, throw up your hands in frustration, and give up. So this is unfortunately the way that it is. And we need to take a realistic view of things. Folks, it's really a no-holds-barred situation. And that refers to either side. The world that is under the control of Satan, or we, in this world, trying to follow through with our commitment to Jesus Christ. I mean, Satan will throw all kinds of fiery darts your way. He'll do everything that he possibly can do to frustrate you, to cause you to give up in the commitment that you made. But then on the other hand, as it relates to no uh, holds barred, we have to do everything to counteract that, right? Everything that we have to do, strength that we need to muster up, use all of the resources that God has made available to us to be victorious, to triumph over the world in which we live. But here's the good news. In spite of these truths, that is the world in which we live, a world that's antagonistic towards Christian, here's the good news. Even though the world lies under the power of Satan and evil, we as Christians can have this fullness of joy. Praise the Lord for that. And that's what this message is all about this evening. Now, also let me mention that this subject of joy is not confined to this particular epistle. In fact, we find it, it's a reoccurring theme, it's a subject that's often treated throughout all of the New Testament epistles. For example, as a cross-reference in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. In spite of the world in which we live, you know, in spite of all of the fiery darts and all of the attempts of Satan to cause you to throw in the towel, to become discouraged and despair, to call it quits. Praise the Lord for that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Jesus himself said in John's Gospel in chapter 16 and verse 33, here's another cross-reference for you. In this world, you shall have tribulation. And that tribulation comes in so many different forms. But then he goes on to declare, so just expect it. Remember the point that I'm trying to make. We need to take a realistic approach concerning these things. This is absolutely the way that it is. But then Jesus goes on to declare, in spite of our having tribulation in this world as a believer, he goes on to declare, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Folks, that's some pretty good news. Now let me give you an example. One of the reasons why... I so love the book of Acts is because there you discover 
the irrepressible joy that the people of God had in confirmation of the Lord's promises. For example, how many times have we read in the book of Acts where the apostles were dragged before the Sanhedrin, which was the presiding Jewish council of that day, and their lives were threatened, and they were commanded to never again preach in the name of Jesus Christ. The first time that they were taken, their lives were just simply threatened, and then they were warned. But then the second time they were taken, they were beaten. And how did they respond to the threats? How did they respond to their being beaten by the members of the Sanhedrin? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that they rejoiced. They counted themselves worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. So in spite of an antagonistic world and all of the threats, right, they rejoiced. Still, there was this joy that was present within their lives. Now, Paul serves up a, another classical example of this. Think about it. Paul wrote many of his epistles from prison. The epistle, the letter to the church at Philippi, or, or the book of Philippians, was written from prison. At that time when he wrote it, he was a political prisoner of Rome, getting the political runaround. He was facing an unsure future. He didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. And uh, at the whim of the emperor, at that time who was Nero, he could have just called for his head being lopped off of his shoulder. And so he really didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. But in spite of that, many of the letters that he wrote while he was in prison facing that unsure future, and he suggests that in many of his writings, really didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. Nevertheless, frequently, often, he addresses the subject of joy, you see. And so, anyway, that, that's just some of the examples. So this joy is what we've been called to. It is our birthright, if you will. And we are failing in our Christian witness unless we are experiencing it and manifesting it. And so, what is this joy that I am speaking of this evening? What does it look like? What does it all mean? Well, first of all, let me tell you what it doesn't look like. As Christian people, we have absolutely no right to be in a state of melancholy or unhappiness because the world is as it is. I know so many Christians are so burdened down with the things that are going on in the world today. We need to see it from a different perspective. There are just opportunities for us to share the gospel. I mean, if you think about it, right? I mean, yes, we live in a crazy world. And we would like it to be a lot better, conducive for our Christianity. But nevertheless, in spite of all of the things that are going on, none of us should be in the state of melancholy or unhappiness because the world is as it is. I mean, we already know about this world. The Bible clearly addresses it as it is realistically. We know more about this world than anybody else. So ours is a realistic view. So therefore, we should have no false hopes. But nevertheless, there is always a danger of becoming melancholy, morbid, hopeless, and despairing by the things that are going on around us. Some Christians have fallen into that. And these are the people who will not be experiencing the full joy of the Lord, which is the subject that we're treating this evening. 
So just be careful about that. Where does this joy come from? Where does this joy lie? What's the reason why Christians can have joy in the midst of all of the things that are going on in this present world? Now, again, trying to describe for you what this joy doesn't look like. Does all of this mean that we have to put up with everything that's going on around us? That attitude, and unfortunately some Christians have this kind of an attitude, it's expressed like this. Well, you know what? I guess we just have to make the best of it. I mean, after all, it's only a few more years before Jesus comes back for us. And I know some Christians who live their whole Christian experience exactly like that. Well, this attitude is not compatible with the New Testament concept of what joy really is. I mean, a person who is resigned to unpleasant conditions and limitations is not full of joy. How could they be full of joy, right? When they just perceive things in that way. Again, we need to see those things as just opportunities. That's living a confined life. I even go as far as suggesting that's absolutely fear. You know, someone said, you know, would be thinking of all of the things. Well, you know, the enemy's power is so great, and I'm so weak. Hey, listen, if we are afraid of various things that are going on in the world today, how in the world can we be filled with joy? Think about it. So don't allow the things that are going on in your life to cause fear to come in and grip your heart and shut you down. So, with that said, then, what is this joy? Well, let me tell you something. It's a huge subject. I could probably spend weeks, several messages, addressing this one particular subject. But let me also say, you don't have to go to a dictionary, you know, to find the meaning of joy, because that's not the joy that I'm recommending to you this evening. The joy or the description of joy, the definition of joy that you might find in the Webster's Dictionary is not the joy that I'm referring to. It's not the joy that I'm talking about. You see, this joy that's being recommended to us here, that John wants every believer to experience for themselves, is a quality which belongs to the Christian life in its essence. And in its definition, it must conform to what we have seen in the person of Jesus Christ while he walked upon the earth, when he exercised his public ministry for three and a half years before his crucifixion. I mean, think about it. The world has never seen anyone who knew joy as our Lord knew it. And yet, according to Isaiah, in chapter 53, in verse 3, he was the man of many sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Do you ever feel like that as a Christian? Do you feel like you're the man or the woman of many sorrows just simply because of your commitment to Jesus Christ and acquainted with grief? You know, you would think that you'd get the pat on the back from other people because you've made that decision for Christ. But rather, what you're getting is grief. Have you ever felt like that before? But in spite of that, there was joy. And Jesus exercised great joy while he walked upon the earth. And so our definition must correspond to his experience, you see, because he revealed true joy. It is certainly not flippancy. That's not the joy that's being recommended to us here. One time, because of things falling into place, or the way things working out the way that we hoped they would work out, and there's a big smile on our face, and then 
when things aren't working out the way that we hoped they would work out, then we're all bummed out. That's flippant. So I'm not referring to flippancy, nor a sort of brightness, which is a part of some people's personality, or something that's overdone. It's not something which cheaply makes people laugh. Those are all personality things that people have as a part of their personality. It's not lightheartedness or a pleasant emotional feeling. But let me suggest exactly what it really is. It is a state, so if you're looking for a working definition of what we're talking about here, it is a state which is the result of the interactions of various forces and factors playing upon the soul. Now, you might think that that's a a lofty definition of the word joy, and you might be thinking, Mike, you just lost me. What do you mean by that? Well, here's its elements. First of all, under that heading, it is a state of complete satisfaction. No matter what's going on in your life, things may be falling out from underneath you. Bad news may have just come a-knocking at your door. And nevertheless, there is still this complete satisfaction. You see, think about it. There's no joy unless I am satisfied. If I am dissatisfied in any respect whatsoever, how in the world can we be joyful? So the first element of this joy is that it is a state of complete satisfaction. And this would include my intellect, my emotions, my desires must be satisfied, and more than that, they must all be satisfied together and at the same time. And folks, that can be your experience in Christ. That's exactly what Christ wants each and every one of us to experience. I mean, think about it. We refer to God as our Father, Abba Father. We cry out Abba Father, right, which is a term of endearment. And that's exactly who he is. He's our Heavenly Father. And that's who we've become in Christ, sons and daughters of God. And even as my children, raising my children, my five kids, and now my five grandkids, praise the Lord, I only want the best for them. And it just, it kills me to see them hurt. And if there is anything that I can do within my capacity and my ability and my power to bring them joy, that's what I wish for them. That's what I desire for them. And so it is with our Heavenly Father as well. So he wants you to experience full satisfaction, this joy. This is just one element of it. Now, granted there are things that I can do to satisfy my desires, but so many times they're the wrong things. And if I choose to bring those wrong things into my life to fulfill my desires, my mind and my conscience condemn me, right? And you fill in the blank, okay? You could probably think of your own examples as it relates to this particular issue. But if I'm doing the wrong things to bring satisfaction into my life, And whatever that may be, you fill in the blank. I think you know what I'm referring to, right? What happens? My mind and my conscience condemn me because I've known, I know that I've chosen to do the wrong things to bring me those pleasures, to bring me satisfaction. It's only for a season because sin is involved. There may be pleasure for a time, for a season, but folks, at the end, there's no continuous joy. So the satisfaction that is a part of joy 
is a complete satisfaction. Mind, heart, emotions, and desires. They are all fully satisfied, and full satisfaction is an essential part of joy. So that's the first element of this joy. Now the second element in joy is the spirit of exultation. Those feelings, the rush of emotions brought on by knowledge. What kind of knowledge are we talking about? Well, simply I'm rejoicing in what God is doing in my life, in the lives of my brothers and sisters. And there's just this exultation. I know that God is working. I can see his footprints. I can see his handiwork. I'm not the same person that I once was. How do you explain the things that are going on in our lives? The good things that are going on in our lives without putting God behind them, right? Doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And, and, it bring, and it, this joy wells up within me because I know that God is with me. That his hand is upon me. And so joy is a spirit of exaltation. But then the third element of this joy, trying to describe it for you, is that feeling of power and strength. But I want you to think about this. If I have joy, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of what's going on in the world. I'm not afraid of what's going on at work. I'm not afraid of what's going on in my family. They may be concerning to me, but I'm not afraid because I know that God is allowing these things to go on in my life. He has a plan. He's working out his perfect plan and purpose for me. I'm wound up by a mighty, dynamic power, and thus I am lifted above myself, and I'm ready to meet every enemy and every challenge that's presented to me. Remember Nehemiah when he was given the task of rebuilding the wall that had broken down in the city of Jerusalem, laid in waste? And then he was given leave by Artaxerxes to go back and rebuild the city and rebuild the wall. And remember, he came up against some pretty fierce opposition. And as, after the wall had actually been completed, he was continuing to encourage the people to continue on in that building occupation. They were, uh, they were coming up against a, a pretty massive enemy, very strong enemy. Well, anyway, as Nehemiah gathered the people together on that one occasion, it's recorded for us in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, he reminded the people by suggesting, not only suggesting, teaching, it's not, well, really not a suggesting, but a truth. He says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy, and you're familiar with that text of scripture. You see it printed on plaques that we hang in our homes and in our offices. The joy, in fact, we sing one of our choruses here, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're constantly reminded of that fact because there's great strength and power found in that joy. Joy, gang, is a strong power. And such, that's just another element of this joy. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my The book of 1 John teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you, beginning on that very first day, and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. 
Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org. You'll find them under the Resources tab. Come visit us, too. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit harvestnyc.org or join us online to worship through the live stream. Each Thursday, we're also meeting virtually to step back into the Word and worship the Lord. We'd be honored if you'd join us. 7.30 online at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given, and we'll use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. We hope you'll join us again right here on In My Father's House. My heart, not be troubled.